All right, so you are listening to Aim for the Bushes. I am your podcast person, Pavlo, also known as JPav, also known as Pav, also known as Pavi. And with me today is no one, sadly. It is just I, dear listener. So you have the fortune or unfortunate pleasure of just listening to me. Unfortunately, today I also do not have Mega the Mags with me because of the current coronavirus pandemic going on we've had to change how we do these episodes as you'll know from the previous episode of me and christian if you haven't listened to that go ahead and do that at uh, some point after you listen to this episode because we talk about uh good bad films so what makes bad films good So what are we talking about in today's episode? Because that was the last episode. So what's going on today? Well, today we're going to be talking about leadership and kind of like what makes a good leader, how to be a good leader, I guess. So we're going to look at that in terms of how to motivate people and then kind of like how we come across that in in different aspects of life. But before we get into that, uh, I'm going to go into my non-legal legal disclaimer, which is that uh, these are just my opinions or uh, the opinions of uh, the any guests that are on the show. If you listen to other episodes, uh, this is in every episode. But basically I'm, what I'm trying to say here is that uh, if you disagree, that's totally chill. Uh, feel free to disagree. Uh, but like I said, I'm just giving you my points or my viewpoints. And I'm not trying to say that how I view certain subjects, that is the only way or that is the correct way, but it's just my way. <laughs> so just keep that in mind. I don't know if anyone remembers this now because 2020 has been uh, a crazy year, but, uh, back in May, I think now, uh, you know, so much has happened. What is time? Um, Back in May on ESPN, there was a 10-part documentary series called The Last Dance. If you have seen it, awesome. If you have not seen it, I would recommend checking it out. Um, I know in Canada, I'm not sure about other parts of the world. I know in Canada, I know in Canada, it's um, available on Netflix, so if you want to watch it there, if you have Netflix, it's uh, available. In the U.S., uh, I'm not sure. Maybe ESPN has like a streaming service similar to Netflix. I don't know. But if you didn't catch it when it aired, try to find a way to catch it. It's an interesting look at Michael Jordan and his last season on the Chicago Bulls for the 1997-1998 NBA season. And so... This was something, well, the archival footage was was filmed uh, during that season. So uh, the NBA's like film or media division was able to have a film crew follow Michael Jordan and the Bulls uh, for that year. And eventually um, a documentary got made out of it. It took a long time because obviously, obviously that was 1998 and it only came out now in 2020. It was supposed to come out, I think, in June or July, but because of the coronavirus and the NBA season being suspended, uh, ESPN, to, uh, ESPN decided to air it early. 
So that was something that I and I guess many other people had watched because, you know, uh, if you weren't around uh, in the 90s watching the Bulls, everyone knew who who Michael Jordan was. Like, it, well, people now know who Michael Jordan Jordan is. But back then, especially, it's like I, as a kid, I wasn't even like super into basketball like any regular or most uh, Canadians. Uh, hockey was my sport. But I still knew who Michael Jordan was. He, you know, he was just like that big of a icon of a of a figure, in, not just in the sports world, but just in I guess the world that you knew who he was. Like I remember having like a Chicago Bulls baseball cap, <laughs> even though I was not a particularly huge Chicago Bulls fan. Like I said, I was not necessarily a huge basketball fan, but like I said, I knew who Michael Jordan was. I knew who the Chicago Bulls were like, that's just how big of an influence he was. And now, especially if you're like, um, into shoes, uh, you know, a lot of people covet Jordans, right? The shoe line that goes on, you know, I think a lot of people are familiar with the Jumpman logo. So big, big influence. So obviously this pulled uh, a lot of attention. The reason why I, I bring this up and in leadership, uh, because uh, one, I think, of the episodes, but it's not just from this. If you read other things about Jordan or hear uh, interviews with former teammates or uh, other people, uh, basketball players that played uh, around the same time or people who wrote about the Chicago Bulls, Michael Jordan, at the time... Uh, like this information isn't new about how he was in terms of like his trash talking and how he would like uh, well, not only trash talk like opponents but even people like on his own team but watching this again kind of like brought this kind of like thought forward uh, and which is why I'm bringing this episode to you now uh, but basically part of what it focuses on is his like leadership style so obviously michael jordan is insanely uh, talented individual uh, at basketball could be argued he is one of the greatest players ever to play the game uh, i'm not going to get into a discussion on that that may be something coming down the road because uh, i do like to talk about sports because sports uh, basically involves everything uh, in a modern society but anyways he was, uh, yeah, one of the biggest, biggest sports figures, the biggest figures uh, around. And um, the question of his leadership comes up, right? And so because he was known as this, you know, trash-talking guy, but like I said, not just to opponents, but to his teammates. So the way, like, he would practice was intense. So he was very focused, very determined. When he was on the court, like he was dead serious. It was not the time to joke around, to mess around. Like it was, we play the game. And it's like, we play the game. If you're familiar with basketball and, and practice and Allen Iverson, uh, you know that. Uh, and if you don't know Allen Iverson, another, you know, um, large uh, influential basketball player, who played majority of his career for the Philadelphia 76ers, he was known for not showing up to practice and stuff. And he had a well-known press conference. You can look this up on YouTube for the clip 
where he basically went on for like five minutes being like, we're talking about practice. We're talking about practice. People asked him like, uh, you know, is it important that you didn't show up to practice? You know, like, why aren't you coming to the practice? And he's just like, why are we talking about practice? This is a practice. But the contrast with Jordan, like, practice is everything, right? Like, there's a reason why you practice. Even with the skill level that someone like Michael Jordan had, he was in the gym, uh, you know, weightlifting or in the actual, like, basketball court gym, you know, shooting, dribbling, you know, all all the stuff that he would do. Like, he was there every day, even though he was insanely talented. He didn't have to. He isn't good enough. But skill only takes you so far. And, like, you have to practice. Like, he worked every day. Like, I have a saying that I got from an old hockey coach of mine that I quote regularly, if you know me in real life, um, which is the way you practice is the way you play. Right? That's what you practice for is so you're ready for the game. So if you're just kind of, like, dicking around, in practice, whether it doesn't matter the sport, it doesn't even have to be a sport. It can be any field of life. You can be practicing math equations. You know, it can be practicing sewing. It can be practicing cooking. It doesn't matter. But if you don't practice it, you will never, first of all, get the repetition that you need to develop the skill that you're trying to get because through mistakes, that's how you learn. So, you know, oh, I made a mistake, so I shouldn't do it this way. Let me try it another way. But practice is important. And so the other thing is that you also want to be ready, especially for sports. You don't want, uh, at least you want to like minimize, I should say. But basically, you don't want to be in a situation that you have never seen before. So ideally, you've practiced. And obviously, you can't envision every single situation you might find yourself in. But you should have a good idea. Like you shouldn't be surprised by any uh, particular situation of how a game may shape out or a situation you may find yourself in or a play or a move or a shot to take or whatever whatever it is because ideally you've practiced so like it's not unexpected in terms of like how you're going to react but also how you're going to like perform so if you're shooting like a basketball in this case if you've never shot one before your body does not know how to react how to act Right. But if you've done it like, you know, a million times and then, OK, now, you know, like how your arm's supposed to go, how, you know, how your feet are supposed to be positioned, all that kind of stuff. But anyways, so uh, that's one of my uh, classic tangents there. But um, what I'm trying to get at is his leadership style. And so he was known for being like an asshole, basically. In in the documentary, in The Last Dance, they don't really get into the like how abusive verbally abusive and sometimes physically abusive he was other things do like uh, you can find uh, people that talk about this like on youtube Uh, i don't have anything off the top of my head but different books and stuff that have been written like they kind of like go into like i guess alleged things that the trash talking that michael jordan did is like pretty brutal pretty vicious so it's not just like you know tiny little insults here and there it's like it's pretty mean it's pretty mean stuff like like he in in the documentary they say like uh you know he picked on a few a few players but it seemed it was more like kind of jovial adversarial kind of thing uh they do go in the incident where he punched like steve kerr uh, in the face <laughs> during a practice you know but so what this got me thinking was like okay is this an acceptable way to lead a team because some people definitely will say it is because he says like um 
So I pulled people along when they didn't want to be pulled. I challenged people when they didn't want to be challenged. And I earned that right. So basically what he's saying there is that, yeah, sometimes I'm going to have to like push and pull you or drag you basically when you don't want to be dragged. And that in and of itself is okay because, yeah, sometimes you do have to to get something out of someone. You know, maybe they're not in the right mindset to do whatever the task is, but it has to be done by a certain time. And at the pace that they're going, you're not going to meet that deadline. So, yeah, sometimes you got to force people uh, to get the task done. That's okay. Like that, I understand. But like being abusive and berating people, uh, that or that's where I'm like, "Mm, I'm not sure that that works. So that's what kind of got me thinking about this was not necessarily that quote specifically, but basically his approach, his mentality to being a leadership. For me, that's not necessarily like being a strong leader. Uh, the idea that you'll have to be abusive and uh, berate people in order to get them to do things. I, I guess sometimes people would qualify this under like tough love. Uh, but I, I think there's a difference between like tough love and, and being abusive. Uh, you know, like cussing out people or humiliating people or embarrassing people. Uh, you know, generally like in front of others. So in front of your teammates or work colleagues or I don't know, family, whoever it is, friends. Like, to me, I'm like, I don't necessarily know that that's the best way to reach someone. To me, like, a good leader is uh, someone who can adapt. So, like, you know how to interact with certain individuals to get the best out of them. If you're the the leader of a team, it could be a sports team, it could be a group project, whatever it is. If you just have, like, a one-size-fits-all approach and basically it's just, I'm going to yell at you (laughs) until you do the thing that I want you to do, that may not work for everyone. Some people, yeah, it can work. But other people, it doesn't. Sometimes it makes you like shut down because, and then you would, some people would justify being like, well, you were weak willed or weak minded or you're like a, a, a loser anyway. So, like, it doesn't matter because you're not going to amount to anything. But again, if you're going to be that, uh, you know, headstrong and like a my way or the highway kind of approach, I'm like, maybe you're not the best leader or motivator in that case because you can't adapt, you can't bring it out of someone in a different way. You can't take a different approach to try to achieve whatever it is you're trying to achieve. To me, that's more that that's what makes a good leader more than just like being berating or abusive or anything like that, whether it's physical or verbal or anything. To me, that's not the best way. That's a way, but to me, it's not necessarily the best way. And so another thing, a little thing from from the documentary, and I've heard this from a few like uh, sports, uh, uh, I guess people, I don't know, in the news media where they've been talking about this. I've been reading and like watching different things, reactions to it as the actual documentary series was playing because uh, it aired live on ESPN uh, for like, uh, I think, five Sundays because they showed two episodes at a time. So everyone, all the different like sports uh, media networks, I guess, would would have their responses to the latest two episodes that had come out. And one of them was that, like, you know, Jordan was like the ultimate motivator. That's a that's a take uh, that I've heard, or that he was more of a head coach than Phil Jackson, uh, who was the head coach of the Chicago Bulls at the time. And I I would disagree with that. Uh, part of it, what people were saying was that. 
the justification for this, and this is kind of like what's presented in the documentary, how it's framed, is that, you know, Jordan, you know, yells and like punches Steve Kerr and like, uh, you know, berates some of the other players. Although it's interesting, they didn't talk to a whole bunch of different players on the 97, 98 Bulls. They talked to, I think, three or four. So it would have been interesting uh, if they had more people on that team so you get a better idea but the thing to remember uh for this documentary is that jordan had final say over the the edit that was part of the agreement uh when the stuff was first filmed that it had to be done with his approval uh well the nba and his approval so he looked at it and basically you know if it was done without his input in it i mean that was the only way i guess you're going to get him to sit down for it but if they were going to examine and use this footage uh, outside of, of his approval just in general, maybe we'd have like who they talk to and what they say, you know, because maybe there were other people that were interviewed or some of the people that were interviewed, they said stuff and he was like, no, I don't want them talking about that. So it's gone, you know, possibility. I don't know, obviously, unless someone comes out and says, yeah, there was more that I said there. Uh, so part of it of of how it is framed is that uh, you know jordan you know pushed these guys and was intense with them and like berated them and yelled at them and called them names but at certain points in the season and playoffs it made them perform well you know and i'm like that to me that's not like and like i said this was used as justification by like other people like in the sports news media world offering like these opinions and again this is kind of how it's framed in the documentary itself but i disagree with that because one instance like if i'm in practice like uh you know i don't know how often they practice but i'm in practice on a sunday let's say and jordan's yelling at me and six months later we're in a playoff game i'm not saying that he didn't but maybe i don't know he focused someone on someone else after that and I performed well, or even the next week's game, doesn't matter, the time frame, like, you can't necessarily attribute an individual play, or in a, whether it's, like, in in a specific play during the game, or just over the course of, of a single game, that that was due to, to, to Michael Jordan yelling at me, or whatever, right, it could have just been sheer luck, it could have just been me working on stuff on my own time, I, there's not enough to say like there's a direct correlation right correlation is not causation so i don't know like i think that's a bit of a stretch and a bit disingenuous to say like yes they performed well uh, some of these smaller rolled uh, uh players because you know you had michael jordan <laughs> yelling at you in practice if you weren't performing well or because you know like steve Kerr didn't perform well because michael jordan punched him in the face right like uh, maybe it had an effect I, mean, I imagine it has more effect on their like maybe personal re- relationship at least as it pertains to how they play on the team together but is it is, is that what made uh you know steve kerr make shots on, on any given day was because of that necessarily no because i would argue that if that didn't happen let's say he wasn't being berated and punched in the face steve kerr could still make those shots I mean, he was a good player. Like, obviously, he was not like a superstar or anything like that. I think he's more known for being, you know, the head coach of the Golden State Warriors now. But back then, when he was playing, like, he was good enough to obviously be on the team. But his performance, I don't think, is due to that. I think it's, you know, 
every individual player is it's due to like how they practice and how they're coached uh, overall and then obviously you know if you have someone like michael jordan on your team that helps the team overall but it's not necessarily due to michael jordan like i said yelling at you so because there's a couple of instances like i said where you know it's kind of like they make the connection that oh yeah okay jordan was picking on him and then oh he had a good game at some point in the future and it's like well no, that's not uh, that's not how things work. I don't I don't think we, I don't think it's fair to make that kind of uh, connection now as to whether or not, like I said, if that's a good coaching tactic. I don't think so. Like I don't agree that like you know Michael Jordan was like the coach of the Bulls or he was like so good in terms of motivating. Like he's the ultimate motivator. Like I said, I would say it's more like the head coach because Jordan is not a head coach like Phil Jackson was a head coach and I feel justified in saying this because if when you look at what has happened after the 1998 season okay obviously Michael Jordan retired he didn't have to retire that's one thing because it's been put out there that like uh you know because he said he wasn't going to play for anyone else but Phil Jackson that was Michael Jordan's decision Phil Jackson never told him hey you can't I don't want you playing for anyone else but me so that was Jordan's complete decision. So he took a few years off before he came back with the Washington Wizards in 2001. Now, had he played in 1999 uh, with another team, signed somewhere else, or re-signed with Chicago, I don't know how yeah, his performance would have been different. But when he was playing on the Wizards, obviously, he never... They, I don't even think they made the playoffs. I don't know off the top of my head, but they didn't go anywhere. So, you know how good was he at motivating players like when he was playing on the Washington Wizards especially when he couldn't perform to the level that he was performing on with the Chicago Bulls because if he was so great like why aren't the Washington and that's not something that's brought up in this documentary you could argue well because it focuses on Chicago Bulls blah 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 but Again, if he was so good at motivating and coaching and, you know, those aspects, why didn't it elevate the play of those players? Because on the Chicago Bulls, who would you really have? I mean, you had Scottie Pippen and Michael Jordan. Of course, there are a few others, but those are your main two guys. Now, obviously, Jordan didn't have a Scottie Pippen on the Washington Wizards, but he couldn't. Like they still have good players. Like even if they weren't the best record overall or anything, I'm not saying they got to go 72 and 10, but at least make the playoffs. So where was that motivation? And then you look, uh, if you look at Phil Jackson, obviously he's not a player; he's a coach, but he's a very successful coach, right? Because a lot of time, yeah, you have coaches that will coach a team to a championship, but how many championships do individual coaches win with with teams, right? So coaching does make a difference because, you know, you'll have whether it's hockey, soccer, football, basketball, whatever, a team will win. And then the coach, you know, doesn't repeat success either with that franchise or if they take a job somewhere else, you know, so it's not guaranteed. And co there's a reason why there is a coach, though. Right. So I know some people like to dismiss coaches altogether because they don't play, but there's a reason why they're there. And so for Phil Jackson, I mean, he went to, to L.A., uh, with the Lakers and they won five more championships so he won th six in total with with Chicago and then five with Los Angeles so I mean it's pretty successful now you can say oh yeah Kobe Bryant blah, blah blah but how many how many coaches are there that exist that have top level talent on their teams and don't win anything right 
If you look at Oklahoma City Thunder, for example, they had Kevin Durant, Russell Westbrook, bit of a tongue twister there. They had James Harden, Serge Ibaka, and they couldn't win a championship. I don't know who their coach was, but supremely talented team. They made it to the finals once, right? So it's not just because you have good talent on a team doesn't necessarily mean coaching is any easier. It's not like Phil Jackson sat back and just said, okay, Kobe Bryant, you go you go do all the things. I'm just going to sit here. It's like, no, coaching was a, was a huge part of it. And so you see like, especially you know, for Kobe, like after Phil Jackson leaves the, the organization of the Lakers, after that fifth championship, the Lakers don't win again. Actually, Lakers become pretty shitty until uh, LeBron... Uh, joins the team right so again coaching makes a difference and phil jackson's always a very successful coach now okay so pulling back a little bit though so this is leadership in the sports world and part of why like i said i brought this up is because this mentality of thinking like oh i have to be mean i have to be berating like that's how i'm going to get the best out of someone is by yelling at them and not like, you know, uh, not coddling them, not holding them by the hand, not we're all going to, you know, uh, skip in the fields and, you know, talk about how much we love each other. This kind of thinking is used in many different fields, many different industries, especially in business uh, as, as a way to behave as like managers so uh, or whether or not they're like executives, whoever, people in management. This is a way to treat your, I don't necessarily underlings, but like your team or your employees, this is how you motivate them, right? You yell at them and, and, and you, you dress them down. Now, sometimes it is warranted yelling at someone. It depends, but like just for any little thing, like you find this so much, especially a lot of, I don't know, toxic, I guess that's the current buzzword, work environments, like a lot of information's coming out about how people are treated uh, whether it's based on sex or or or, or race or, or gender, whatever the abuse is, but it's like it's long been an accepted way of treating employees. As long as you're successful, right? You can get away with this stuff as long as the company is successful in, in the business world, in the sports world. Uh, yeah, you can be a giant asshole if you're successful. So Jordan won, wins uh, six championships in sets of three back-to-backs, two sets. You know, that's what makes it acceptable. Well, I'm not saying it makes it acceptable, but people will tolerate it because, hey, we win. We win. If we win, it works. So what's the problem? <laughs> Why are you arguing this? We won. So it's the same thing in, in, in business that I see a lot of the time where, uh, yeah, the business is successful. People are buying the product. People are making money, which is the important thing. Investors are making money. That's that's what's important in a business. Yeah, so who cares if I treat my like employees, whether they're my, like, it's my assistant, I'm the CEO, it's my assistant, how I treat him or her, or or. You know, if I if I run a factory, the people who work on the floor, you know, how I treat them or their managers or other executives, right? If I yell at them, but we've made record profits, then it's fine. It's it's acceptable. So that's kind of like where this you know has relevance into like the wider aspect. So part of it, uh, what part of what I want to like also discuss here is like as an example of this in uh, in the business world. 
is someone like Steve Jobs. Because he was known for doing this. Now, I have to say that, like, I do like Apple products. You know, if anyone's listening, they'll be, oh, you, you're an Apple hater. Because this is what I hear all the time. Anytime you, you offer criticism of Apple, you get the, uh, oh, yes, you are a hater. But it's like, no, I have, I've been using Apple products my whole life. Uh, you know, I have an iPhone, I have iMac, all that stuff. And I enjoy using using the system. That's why, like, I like, that's why I continue to use it. But anyways, that doesn't excuse how someone who works at the company behaves. So Steve Jobs was known as being like a giant freaking asshole uh, to a lot of people. Uh, there's a good um, film, uh, a made-for-TV movie, actually. I don't know if it aired on HBO. I want to say it did air on HBO, but I don't remember if it actually aired on HBO. But anyways, it was made-for-TV movie is called the pirates of silicon valley it's very good if you can find it i would recommend watching it if you're not familiar with steve jobs story although it's not about steve jobs like specifically but it is kind of like about the rise of the computing i don't know i guess sector industry in california from like uh the late 70s early 80s between like apple and microsoft so like steve jobs and like uh bill gates and it's a good movie. Uh, basically, if you don't already know, like, that story and the Apple, I guess, mythos of, uh, you know, how how Microsoft copied. And that, was, that was the original thing back in the day. That's why there was, like, the rivalry between Apple and Microsoft. Uh, Steve Jobs had brought in Bill Gates and a couple of people at Microsoft to look at their new prototype, the Macintosh, and the the operating system that was a graphical user interface instead of uh, because before that if you're unaware all uh, computers were like line code so your display would be basically black screen and the color of the text so you had to do everything by typing commands i'm not super familiar with it i've seen it i've done it you know here and there messing around with like uh, vm stuff and it's different right because we're used to uh the visual interface, but this was kind of like, it's not the first, a lot of people say the Xerox, I think Palo Alto was the first one or whatever, but it was one of the, the Macintosh was one of the ones that popularized it or made it more accessible, you might say. And then so the Microsoft team kind of saw this, of course the Apple team saw it from Xerox, so they took it from Xerox. Well, they didn't take it from Xerox, it's what's implied like in the movie and how it gets retold a lot, but Xerox actually uh had no use for it they're like i don't see what we're gonna do with this and then apple's like oh we'll buy it they're like you want to buy it here you go take it you know we can make some money off this right so that's kind of like how it went down but then microsoft saw it and then they made windows and that was like almost the exact copy of like mac os not literal copy but same kind of like interface with like the idea of like having a, a window that you moved around the screen and opened up and stuff like that and icons right it took that same concept and microsoft made their own version of it and obviously apple and steve jobs were not too happy about that i guess understandably but anyways it's an interesting film and and, uh, and you should watch it and so uh you know you see that in that film there's a good good scene where steve jobs walks in and he just like berates this i think it's an someone who's interviewing for a position at Apple, if I remember correctly. It's been a long time since I watched this film. And he just, like, berates him. 
Now you may say, oh, this is a fictionalized uh, version of, of things. That's, you know, that may not be accurate. I'm like, yeah, that's a fair point. That's a fair point you might say. But I mean, there's plenty of do- documented like examples of this, of how he treats people, of how he, well, yeah, treated people, of how, how people, uh, you know, how they were talked to and stuff you know, by him. And obviously it was always under the guise of I'm trying to get the best out of people. And sometimes that, I don't want to say how you act in that way, but that attitude of like trying to push people further like that, I understand that drive to like get something a certain way. I I get it because sometimes uh, I don't have like a specific thing, but I know if you read about uh, jobs or, and especially if you read uh, his biography, which I have also read, they talk about the the development of certain products, and so sometimes certain. He he had one one good thing though about Steve Jobs is that he definitely had a vision for not just Apple the company, but where to take their products, right? How to deliver them, right? There was an underlying vision theme that he had, and you see this uh, when he comes back to Apple. Because if you don't know, in the 80s, he was kicked out because he was, like, tyrannical. And then the person he brought in to be the CEO of Apple clashed with him. And eventually he got kicked out because, again, he was like, we have this raging jackass that's, like, disrupting (laughs) all the internal organization at this company. We can't have him here. We have to kick him out. That's basically what happened. He got kicked out. Uh, He ends up buying Pixar, if you didn't know that. Uh, He bought Pixar. Made that to a, a successful animation studio, obviously. And, and then he started another computer company called Next uh, Computers. And then eventually Apple buys Next uh, for their uh, operating system. So if you don't know, uh, if you are a Mac OS user, basically the legacy, the original version of Mac OS was kind of like out of date. And they needed to develop a new version of Mac OS but they didn't want to develop one in-house because that you know that would take a long time. A lot of resources would have to go into it, and so they decided it'd be better if we just buy someone else's uh, software and then use that. And the one they decided on was Next. Uh, I think it was called Next OS. I can't remember exactly what it was, but that's basically the foundation for macOS that we have now is that operating system. If you go uh, and look it up on YouTube, you, you there is a, a few clips of uh or i guess presentation materials i don't know of steve jobs like demoing the environment and you kind of see like if you're familiar with mac os and you know you have your dock and all that stuff with all the icons like that's where that comes from obviously it's a little bit different because it's it's prior to you know but that's that's the origin that's where it comes from so apple buys next so that brings jeeves steve jobs back to the company and eventually becomes their ceo and you know the how Apple is perceived in the marketplace and the products that they bring out changes because he had a vision. So he knew how to vision. He knew how to get to that. And that is good. Like you want someone that has a strong vision that knows how to get there. And that's what he did. So sometimes he would push people to have a product a certain way. It was like, oh, well, the technology doesn't exist. You can't do it like that. And it's like, well, no, we got to figure out a way. But sometimes the way he went about it, again, this and this is where it ties into the leadership, is that you know, he was an asshole. And so, but some people may argue you need to be an asshole because if you're not an asshole, we don't get there. But I don't know. I don't necessarily think that that's true. I, I, I don't see how like humiliating people are making them work, you know, crazy hours, you know, 12 hour days. I don't know what it is exactly, but 
you know, you, you got to do all like this crunch time. And you see this, especially like in video game companies, if you read about the work culture there, it's like the same kind of thing, low pay, uh, you know, a lot of hours, even in VFX. So film uh, special effects. I know a few people that have worked in those companies and I've read about other places where people talk about the work culture is the same kind of thing where it's just like you're pushed and pushed and you know you have little pay and like no overtime pay and you know people are yell at you and be mean now this is not to say again that you you can never i don't want to say be mean but have to like take a stance or be firm with someone i mean you definitely can but there is a limit i think i i don't believe in the ends that the ends justify the means so i don't believe that you can just treat anyone however just to get whatever the result is you're looking for i think there are other ways that you can get it out of people or accomplish the thing that you that you want to accomplish uh so again going going back to 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 jobs there uh there's a book um written by his daughter uh lisa uh brennan jobs uh, it's called Small Fry, and uh, it's a biography uh, about her life and, uh, you know, her growing up knowing who her father is, like Steve Jobs, and how that has affected her because he was not the best father to her. I, I don't know about his other because he, he, he has a, uh, a wife uh, and kids with uh, someone else, uh, you know, later on, and so I think they had three kids. But when Lisa was uh, was growing up, uh, you know, originally he denied that he was her father, right? So it's kind of like growing up in that scenario where this man who is your father, who you hardly see, who denied ever knowing you, who can be hot and cold with you, it gives a good, what I like about it, it gives a good picture of, of Steve Jobs that gets out of the like the mystique the legend right the myth of steve jobs because like yes you know a lot of people talk about him as though you know he revolutionized uh, computing and all this crap right i'm not saying that apple hasn't contributed to how we relate to technology they have but i mean the way it's presented though is that steve Jobs is this like wonder god basically that has come down and bestowed these gifts upon us and it's like well that's not really it right there's a bunch of people that worked on that stuff it's not just him i mean like i said it is important to have vision it is important to guide people to a certain point in order to execute that vision yes that is supremely important so we're not you know i guess like spinning rudderless or whatever but what I like about this book is that we see Steve Jobs outside of that. So outside of that myth building, uh, the legend building of Steve Jobs. We see him as this kind of like awkward person. And, but even in this case, though, um, we see how he like talks to her. Right? He talks to someone who's like super awkward, doesn't know how to like talk to his own kid basically now, i'm not saying this makes him a bad person or anything like that i'm not trying, like trying to pass judgment on him i mean you can read the book if you want or read about her life and how he acted and you can decide whether or not that's good or bad uh, i would say it's not the best but again aside from like the parental issues there but i just mean like actually just like talking to your kid like it's super awkward i guess part of it beca- is because like he didn't really spend that much time with her but uh some of the instances where he he because uh sorry she uh eventually went to go live with him 
uh, in his new family for a little bit because, you know, this is my dad. And like, you know, you, you want to spend time like with your parents, uh, you know, especially if one of them has been absent for for most of your life. Right. You want to build that connection because she's like a young girl. And it's like you want to know this person, especially this person that everyone praises. Like I said, like there's a whole myth legend around him. Right. And that didn't just start when he died or when he came back to Apple. It was happening then when Apple first like ascended as like this this huge computing company. Right. He was this huge guy in the tech world. And it's like this man is my father. Yet I don't know him. Right. So I like I want to know this person. And just whenever there's been time, like super awkward conversation, you would not like know how to talk to her. But in certain times when they're like in restaurants and stuff you would like berate the wait staff you know and said they did like a terrible job or they didn't serve him something a certain way and it's just kind of like because it's something that carries over like if you're like berating people like at work like you're not necessarily like oh you know the most warm and loving to like other people usually it carries over so if you're if you're someone working at the at, at this restaurant as wait staff, it's a, a customer that's yelling at you, basically saying, "Do you know how to do your job?" kind of thing. You're a fucking idiot. Like, does that motivate you to be a better worker? Probably not. Being yelled at like that probably doesn't make you want to want to do a better, especially if it's something like from a customer where they're complaining about something stupid, which in this case it was. I don't have the example off the top of my head, but. I would recommend you go you go read the read that book. And the last point here that I want to touch on again that deals with like motivating people. And so like I said, like we've seen it and you know, it's in sports, it's in it's in the business tech world. Uh, you you maybe you see it like uh, like I said, maybe you're a student and you do group projects and you have someone who is like the quote unquote the leader of the group and so I I mean, I don't think I've really experienced this, but I've heard from other people, some of their group members, where it's just like, yeah, you'll have someone who is going to like try to berate you or like try to humiliate you, try to be mean to you, uh, you know, as a way to get you to do, to, to get you to do whatever it is you're supposed to do. Right. So it, it can be anywhere. It doesn't have to be just strictly business or sports or whatever. It comes up there because I don't know, I guess it kind of calls for it. Uh, to have like a leader especially for business like I said you want someone who if you're working for them you you know you want them to at least have some idea of where things are going but again the last point that I wanted to bring up was the film uh, Whiplash which is a great film I'd recommend uh, you go watch it if you have not seen it it used to be on Netflix it is no longer on Netflix. One of the things I hate about streaming services. And there is an episode about that where I talk about why streaming sucks. If you want to go back and listen to that one after this episode. But in Whiplash, again, it deals with the same idea, again, of leadership. What makes a good leader? So basically we have our main character. Uh, Andrew is our main character. And basically, obviously this is going to be spoilers for uh, this film if you haven't seen it yet. And if you want to watch it without knowing anything although it shouldn't really make a difference but yeah just so you just so you know so andrew is basically a drummer and he wants to uh you know play at this conservatory uh in one of the the bands there and so his dream is to become like a big drummer and eventually he makes it onto uh the the band there as the as the drummer but the uh the conductor of the band is just like a real asshole and he's like abusive 
and again, like he's those things that I talked about before where, you know, he's a, a abusive and tries to humiliate people uh, and stuff like that. And he berates people, like I said, in front of everyone, you know, you know, tells you, you know, you're not good enough, you're shit, like get out and he like throws things. And he, he kind of like, uh, and he's played by JK Simmons, who does a, a great job uh, in this role. I was reading about, I think what it was like on set. Apparently when they were in between takes, he was just like super nice and friendly and cracking jokes with everyone because his character is such an asshole. He's so mean and degrading and humiliating to the other characters and the thing. He was just like, yo, I want you guys to make sure like, this is not me. Like we're having, we're like, you know, like we're chill. Like it's all good. Like I'm not trying to be mean, just the character. And there's a point where the two, Andrew and the the conductor and band leader called um, uh, Terrence Fletcher, they have a conversation and he kind of explains like his motivation as to why, you know, he make it angry and yell at you and tell you your shit and throw things at you. And the reason why is because like he wants to motivate you. Right. So some of the other greats who are great, like, well, maybe if someone didn't yell at them, they wouldn't have put in the work to be good enough to like not get yelled at or whatever. But again, it comes back to like, I don't think that that's the best way to motivate people. Again, there's not saying you can't be stern because there's usually like this, what I would say is false dichotomy or it's either like you're super mean or the other end is like, again, we're all singing, holding hands. Uh, skipping singing kumbaya it's like it's not the it's not those two options because like i said a lot of time people will say like oh well, if i'm not like yelling at you to do something you're just gonna be lazing about no cares in the world oh that project i have due oh whatever we'll do it in 10 weeks it's all good we got time we got time it's all chill baby why are you mad and it's like no, that's not the two options you have. It's not like, well, I'm just going to be a lazy person and not do anything unless I get yelled at. It's like infantilizing, I think. So you can motivate people to get them to do things without having to humiliate them or being abusive. Because in the film, we find out that one of the previous drummers had committed suicide at the hands of the abuse. Because, I don't know, he got to a point where he couldn't take it anymore and he hung himself. And it's like, and I'm not saying at any time you know someone might be mean or berate someone like that that is going to result in someone else uh, you know committing suicide or whatever but it does it does take a toll like being yelled at like that and especially if it's constant you you feel bad i think a lot of people feel bad but you put up with it because you're like oh i gotta get through it or sometimes you put yourself in the mode of like okay i gotta do this well enough so i don't get yelled at so again, like I want to stress that, like it's not just either or. It's not just well, if I yell at you or you don't get the work done. It's like, or, or it doesn't have to be like work, but whatever the the task is. Those aren't the only two options. I'm not, and and on the other hand, I'm not saying you can't be stern with someone, right? I'm not saying you gotta just be, you know, hey, I need you to do this thing, and the person's like, oh, okay, yeah, I'll do it by tomorrow, and then it's tomorrow, and then you go, hey, did you do that thing that I asked? And it's like, oh no, I forgot, man. Okay, you know what? I'm gonna do it for tomorrow. And then it's like the next day and then you're like, hey, did you have it now? And they're like, oh, shit, I forgot. Okay, 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 I'll, uh, I'll do it uh, tomorrow. And, you know, and on and on. It's, it's like it doesn't have to be, okay, well, I really need you to do it this time. Like, come on. You know, like really count me. Like it's not, it's not, 
one or the other. You can be stern with people. Sometimes they have like, hey, I asked you to do something and you said you would do it. So I need it done. You can push people a little bit. Like I said, with the, with the Michael Jordan quote, you know, sometimes I push people. Sometimes I pull people when they didn't want to be pushed or pulled. Yeah, I understand that. That's fine. I don't think you have to berate and belittle and humiliate and degrade people to get that. I think it can be done through other other methods, other ways of reaching people. Like I said, like I'm not again, I'm not saying you can't be stern with someone. I'm not even saying you can't get mad at someone. Sometimes, yes, you do need to get mad because someone's not understanding a certain situation. I'm not saying you can't get mad, you can't ever yell at anyone. Again, it's not oh, we need to be singing holding hands, right? Skipping all you know, in the tall grass. I'm like, no. But you don't have to go to either extreme. You can get people to do things, I think, by trusting them to do those things and not assuming they're stupid children that don't know how to how to do stuff. And then you're going to yell at them and treat them like that. Because to me, when that has happened to me, when I've been yelled at and stuff for not doing something correctly, it's like, it doesn't make me want to do it. And you say, oh, well, then you're just weak. And I'm like, okay, yeah, some people maybe will respond to that. And yes, that will get this hypothetical, I will do better next time, you know. But I think the key here is there is no better next time. You're always going to get yelled at no matter what you do. And it's like, okay, I'm always, I'm like, but eventually you get worn by that, right? Because you always got to be fighting, 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 fighting with someone. It's like, and I don't want to be fighting all the time with someone. Can't we do this another way where like we're both like lifting each other up instead of like pushing against each other like that that's what i think uh, is better approach yes like again like i said you can be stern sometimes you can even get mad you can even yell at someone depending on you know what the situation is but i don't think again that you need to belittle and degrade people because i see too much of it uh, in all aspects of life whether it's sports business uh, you know like I said whether it's in schools it doesn't matter you know whether it's uh, you know serving a customer in the restaurant you know I used to work at a call center sometimes you know you'd get super rude customers who would like you know yell and berate you because they couldn't get what they wanted it's like this is not motivating me to help you anymore I'm not saying I wouldn't help anyone. I would still try to help people, you know, to do whatever it is they're trying to do. But, like, it's not, you're not making me want to, like, go an extra mile for you by treating me like that or treating any person like that. I see too much of it. So, anyway, so we're going to uh, end it there. I think that's a good good place to end. So, like I said at the beginning of the show, my uh, non-legal legal disclaimer... Uh, so basically what we've talked about this past about hour or so is just my opinion on this subject and you can disagree with it if you like. So I'm not saying that I hold the ultimate truth, that I have all the right answers. No, I'm just giving my own opinion. So I have been your podcast person, Pavlo, also known as JPav, also known as Pav, also known as Pavi, this time completely alone. Uh, normally I have Maggie the Mags with me at least, but again, because of this quarantine, there is no such thing. Everything is being done uh, remotely until there is some kind of cure or vaccine. By cure, I mean like treatment. 
and then we can go back to doing uh, our previous setup which was uh, in person so that's it for now thank you so much for listening peace